Welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thank you for joining us again this week for Mike on Money, where we cover everything in the markets that's going on, that's coming up. And also this week, we're going to talk about the global IPO market, uh, which has hit record numbers in 2021 and uh, was very, very uh, active in 2020. And also we're going to talk about the SPAC boom and uh, what's going on there and what those are. Uh, and just kind of give you an update as to um, what's happening, what we see there, and what to look for if you're playing in that market or you're looking to be active in that market. As always, remember, everything we cover here is for information purposes only. Always do your own due diligence or reach out to us at mikeonmoney.com. Happy to answer any of your questions related to the, any of these topics or any other topics uh, that you might be interested into. into. You can always go there as well and find our other videos, um, our podcasts and content if you have, uh, are looking for information around some other topics that uh, you might be curious about. With that, if you're watching us live here today, you can ask us questions, just hit that quick Q&A button, type in your question. We'd, we'll definitely try to get to it today uh, while, we, uh, while we go through, uh, depending on time. If not, I will always follow up with uh, an email or give you a shout. Uh, and make sure we answer your question. If you're watching recorded or on the podcast, again, remember mikeonmoney.com. You can get a hold of us there. And uh, with that, let's dive into what's going on. So, in the economy this week, we're looking for uh, US housing start numbers for April. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Canadian numbers came out, uh, not the starts number, but the pricing. That's shown a little bit of weakness, but the start numbers are still pretty strong. Here in Canada, we're expecting that in the U.S. as well. Walmart and Home Depot both coming out with their Q1 numbers, and I'll talk a little bit about expectations there as, as we go through uh, the U.S. updates. As for the markets, uh, edging back up again, we did have a couple of uh, down days last week uh, as we saw some selling off due to a little bit of lackluster on the, uh, the new job front, especially in the U.S., um, a little bit of concern that inflation uh, was slowing down the economy uh, a bit down there. Uh, and then we had some more positive news uh, about new job creations uh, numbers, and we seem to bounce back from that pretty quickly. So as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, especially in the growth areas like the tech markets uh, and, the, and the big growth names, uh, there is that, you know, that volatility is sitting sit there on those names. On, on that sector of the market, uh, anytime we see any bit of slowdown in this recovery or, or growth in the markets or in the, uh, the base economy, uh, we're going to see that those pullbacks. Again, if you have quality names you're, you're following, a pullback is only an opportunity. It's nothing to be overly concerned about. Uh, just make sure you, you know what names you're, you're, you're buying. I wouldn't just jump on broad pullbacks. It could be you know, deeper reasons about that, around that. Uh, but if you have particular names or particular sectors that you're following for specific reasons and you want to take advantage of those pullbacks, I do recommend that you, uh, you do that. But uh, that being said, as I mentioned, we've seen uh, things get a little bit stronger again. Uh, certainly saw a snap back from, that, uh, from the pullback last week and continuing to see 
slight increments in the markets up uh, so far this week. at and out there kind of uh, finalizing its expansion into streaming services with a purchase of Discovery. Um, you know, Times Warner back in 2018 uh, bought, uh, sorry, AT&T bought Times Warner back in 2018 uh, in order to compete with Netflix and back then the newly vinted Disney Plus channels. Um, as they, uh, as, as we're seeing this breakout into streaming content as opposed to cable, uh, and and uh, everyone wants their own streaming services. Everyone's fighting for content on these services, uh, and you know, of course, Netflix being one of the pioneers, uh, Amazon in behind, um, HBO Max, Disney, and a flurry of other ones, especially in the United States, uh, more than here in Canada. So, uh, so as we move away from the traditional cable packages where you would normally say, hey, I want access to all this, I'm just gonna pay for cable and get it all. Now you get, you know, we were all happy. Hey, I can ditch cable uh, and I can just have my streaming services and I can just watch, you know, one or two streaming services and get all my content. Well, now they've of course split out into many different ones um, and maybe we'll come full server, so full circle. And at some point, someone's going to put together all these streaming services into one package that you can subscribe for. So uh, for now, though, uh, the battle goes on for content and uh, at and out there buying Discovery to get all the content on the platform. Job fears, as I mentioned, uh, and price spikes, you know, uh, problems for the, for the White House. Um, especially last week, uh, you know, unemployment still staying high. And as I mentioned, those numbers weren't as weren't as positive as they were hoping uh, for, for last month. And then of course the rising, rising gas prices uh, and rising prices in, in a lot of goods, of course, supply chain being pinched. Uh, and then the gas lineups we saw in the Southern states, you know, where there were people were hoarding gas. It was the uh, early pandemic paper, uh, paper product, you know, toilet paper and paper towels and Lysol wipes, uh, pandemic buying all over again. Uh, obviously, it was unwarranted. The gas, uh, the gas lines got turned back on again. Uh, the shortages, in fact, wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for people hoarding. Uh, we saw tons of accidents as a result of that, uh, car fires, uh, and improperly from improperly stored uh, gasoline. Uh, all, all bringing back memories. If, if those of you uh, remember the 70s, uh, um, I, was, I was just young, but I do remember the gas lineups in the 70s uh, when we had inflation, we had gas shortages. Uh, so the White House got a little bit of concern, but certainly uh, they're not in the situation that we're, we're going to see that again. Uh, one, there is no gas shortage that was kind of falsely created. Uh, and unemployment, while did slow a little bit temporarily, uh, a lot of the incentives that uh, the White House have put into place should actually be creating a lot of new jobs this year. So hopefully none of that. Uh, and as, uh, as we mentioned last week, inflation did start to increase, a little bit of concern, but it's probably a short-term bump. We should see that pull back a little bit uh, and continue on for the rest of this year. As I mentioned, I don't have too much con concerns that it's gonna get out of hand in 2021. Uh, but obviously 2022 might be a different story. So we'll, we'll keep watching that. Oil prices capped a bit as hedge funds started to take some profits as uh, oil bumped up against $70 a barrel. Um, we saw some profits coming off the table. Again, you know, some of these hedge funds had bought last year. 
uh, when we were at in the, you know, 30, $40 barrel. So just some profits coming off, not really any change of outlook there. The EU has granted a partial truth to the US on the, some Trump era tariffs. So uh, of course, you remember from last year, uh, EU as well as China and, and many other countries, uh, the United States was in a tariff war, especially around the metals. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, countries put retaliatory tariffs on US goods uh, back home and, and Europe being no different. So, uh, so the, obviously the new administration in the United States is in negotiations with the European Union just to put a partial truth on those tariffs while they figure out where things are going to settle out and, you know, deal with, you know, China on the trade front is problematic in some, in some uh, fashions or in some areas. And, uh, you know, they're going to put together a united front as allies usually do in these situations and then hopefully maybe get rid of those, uh, those tariffs to help uh, some of the uh, uh, U.S. names sell overseas a bit more uh, without those added tariffs and bring down some prices. U.S. Uh, home builders' confidence was steady in May. Um, as I mentioned, we're looking for uh, the numbers out of April as far as the starts go. But so far, we've not seen a slowdown. Uh, I don't, again, I don't see that we're going to see a big slowdown in that arena until we see the interest rates move. That's what's really driving the housing market right now, and that will probably continue. Wells Fargo is about to launch a 10-year plan to boost banking inclusion for underserved communities. Um, Sorry, a little bit of chuckle there. Of course, the Wells Fargo. Uh, I, I, first thing that came to mind when I was reading the story was, of course, Wells Fargo was going to these communities and just open accounts for everybody and not tell them. Uh, of course, they, they're just coming out of lawsuits uh, over the big uh, fines that they had to pay over their credit card um, fiasco from a few years ago, uh, where they were just opening more and more credit cards and pushing credit cards, especially on smaller communities and minorities who didn't necessarily, uh, who are new to the country, who didn't necessarily understand what they were signing up for. So it's kind of interesting that Wells Fargo's, you know, launching this program, but they are looking to expand into the, uh, the smaller communities, um, you know, where mainstream bank accounts, you know, kind of aren't the, the norm, uh, which is a big shift for banks. Uh, if you think about banking in the last decade or so, um, banks have really pulled back from that model, right? You, you, you think, uh, certainly when I was growing up, you know, banks, uh, locations were set up in the small communities. Uh, they, you know, everyone knew everybody else, you know, the old movies, uh, everyone knew the bank manager, uh, but banks moved away from that. They moved, they centralized, they, they closed this, a lot of the smaller branches. They got out of the communities, shifted to more online services, obviously, um, uh, bank machines and so forth. Uh, so Wells Fargo is kind of per, or, or recommitted uh, with a 10 year plan to kind of get back to that, that roots uh, small community banking uh, model um, as part of their offer in any way. Uh, Bitcoin dropped to a three month low uh, in some wild training after Elon Musk uh, sent out some tweets. So uh, some more volatility around um, the cryptocurrencies. Um, not surprising. I mean, this is just the nature of the beast. Uh, although it seems to be very focused and centered around Elon Musk. And, you know, uh, as, as I've touched on in the past, I won't get a lot into it. You know, he drove up Dogecoin uh, just on some tweets and some jokes he made on Saturday Live or drove it down after that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we saw it rally uh, or Bitcoin rally up 
as he made announcements that uh, Tesla was going to accept Bitcoin for car purchases and that they had went, they, Tesla as a company went out and bought 1.5 billion of uh, Bitcoin in order to service uh, those purchases. Uh, and then they reversed track on that, uh, on accepting Bitcoin because the environmental impact of, of uh, the blockchain, which dry, you know, um, handles all Bitcoin transactions. Uh, and, uh, and now, you know, he tweeted out again that they're not selling the Bitcoin, but they're not, still not accepting it for cars. So a lot of volatility around Bitcoin around uh, in that. And I'll talk a little bit more about the crypto market here in a couple of minutes. With that, the COVID uh, update, uh, obviously things continuing to go well. Every week we seem to have some pretty good news. BC, of course, reporting fewer than 500 cases uh, for four consecutive days, which is very, op you know, very nice change uh, since, uh, since back in March when uh, we broke through kind of that average, that, uh, that average with uh, the third wave that we were in. Uh, they have opened up the vaccines for everyone 18 or over. Uh, I can give you uh, proof that both my boys are booked for this Sunday uh, want to, to get their vaccine. So, uh, so hopefully we are getting close to everyone or all adults uh, getting um, or being available to get their first vaccine. And then we can really put a push on for everyone's second shot. Uh, obviously, this doesn't change anything until we, uh, we get through the long weekend. That's kind of where the, the province has said that they're going to relook at you know what measures we have and, and what those look like and as i touched on before i mean one of the big concerns is we're not just going to you know um hey everyone's got the first shot great um go back uh every you know no measures in place uh, i i do believe we're probably you know given what the government has done so far we are going to go into a gradual reopen um and uh, we're gonna have to see what that process looks like and and, and hopefully it's faster than, than I'm expecting. Um, but I'm, I am hoping that we can get back to some of the things, at least back to the levels we saw last summer. And that's BC, which, you know, I, I know it's been a bit tough here in BC, uh, but, you know, I talked to colleagues and friends in Ontario and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're far more shut down than we are. Um, you know, they would hope to get to where we're at uh, and, and then, you know, go from there. So, uh, we're still doing pretty good in BC, but obviously keep an eye on the rest of the country as well. Uh, coming up in the US, as I mentioned, Walmart uh, is expected to post their first quarter numbers. Uh, we are expecting some slowdowns uh, compared to the previous quarter. Uh, there was a boom uh, for Walmart during uh, a lot of the, the, the closures. Obviously, less, less stores were open, more people were staying at home um, during the lockdowns. Uh, a lot of online sales surge for them. Uh, but now we're, you know, especially in the US, we're seeing more and more things opening. Um, people going back to a little bit more, call it normal, or back to the before times, as I, I like to call it. Uh, and so not necessarily a big drop, but just not as big growth as we've seen in previous quarters. So we should see that out of the walnut, walnut numbers. Not going to be a big surprise there. The Commerce Department is expected to release that housing data and the permits for new home construction. Again, we are looking for a rise for April, uh, but probably a little bit slower a rise than previous months. Uh, you know, as 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 you know, capacity is kind of being reached as far as um, buyers out there, uh, and I think we're seeing that in the numbers as well. 
Uh, Google's I.O., uh, so Google uh, is doing their big giant annual conference, which they skipped last year, you know, to showcase their new technology, um, you know, coming back with new products, new features, uh, keynote speakers. This is the same thing Apple does every year when they do their product launches. So we'll, we'll get a view into what uh, Google's been working on and what they plan to launch for this year. As I mentioned before, AT&T is set to spend 43 million on the discovery deal. Um, and again, this is just for the battle for the home streaming service to get more content onto their platform and get more subscribers. It's all coming down to the subscribers these days for the streaming services. And, uh, and the only way they can keep that up is, is turning out uh, more content and some stiff competition. You know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, HBO, of course, is, um, you know, working very hard to put out uh, new content constantly. Um, and um, Apple TV, of course, they have the whole Star Wars uh, cycle um, and Marvel uh, that they're putting out uh, onto theirs. And they've been big winners for, with uh, all those new those new uh, streaming uh, content uh, and shows that uh, that are winning the subscriber race. Uh, Netflix, of course, uh, came off the high, uh, but they had pretty big market share to start off with. So this battle is going to continue. Uh, Tesla must again in the press uh, blaming Germany's bureaucracy for the uh, delays in open the Gigafactory uh, over there. So they're building the batteries and, and building the, uh, the Tesla cars in Germany just outside of Berlin, it's been delayed. I, I think they're about six months behind at this point, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and they've just had regulatory issues there getting, getting that open and running. Supreme Court rejected Uber's bid to avoid the driver pay lawsuit. So we've been following this for a little while. Of course, it started in California. And this is the gig worker versus employee status uh, for the ride hailing companies. Uh, and that's going to spoil spill over to a lot of the gig work type models uh, if this goes through. Um, you know, there's pros and cons on, on both sides. You know, in some situations, you know, it's better to be an employee. In other situations, it's better to be a, a gig worker, dependent on what you're trying or what that particular person is trying to get out of it. Obviously, the gig work is much more affordable for companies. They don't have to give as many benefits uh, and cover as many costs uh, for, uh, for the employees as they're, they're treated as independent contract workers. So they tried to get this thrown out on Supreme Court, the lawsuit, uh, so they failed. So that just means it's gonna go ahead. The lawsuit's gonna go ahead. So we'll, we'll see what the final outcome is. They just didn't get it dismissed. J&J vaccine deliveries uh, were cut in half uh, this week to EU. J&J continuously having problems with the rollout on their vaccine, uh, you know, which looked so optimistic coming out with the one-shot vaccine. Didn't have to have the booster. A lot of uh, a lot of people, a lot of countries were excited about that. Uh, of course, they've been plagued with some problems. Um, obviously, uh, some temporary halts at different times uh, with the blood clotting issues, uh, and then of course the quality. They had the 15 million doses in the United States uh, get thrown out because of contamination, uh, and now they have some problems with the um, sh shipping some doses. Uh, over there where the, uh, the compound and uh, supply, supplies weren't coming in uh, and, and being able to get them out in time for their, uh, for their April shipments to the EU. So they, they can continue to be plagued a little bit with their vaccine distribution uh, and uh, getting that out to the different countries. 
You see, you, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, also backed an energy company over Baltimore in the climate case. Not surprising, kind of an interesting uh, early case where Baltimore, uh, you know, went after BP, Chevron, Exxon, and Royal Shell, uh, and a few other energy companies, um, filing a lawsuit against them for costs due to uh, global climate changes. Obviously, this is a big issue. Not saying this won't, won't eventually uh, become something. Um, but Baltimore versus uh, these companies, um, it was a big stretch. You, you know, might see the U.S. against them at some point uh, or a, a class action with multiple states uh, involved going after them or even multiple countries. Um, you know, of course, we did see this with uh, healthcare costs around the tobacco companies years and years, decades ago. Um, and, and now we're seeing that on the energy companies and uh uh, I do think that you know this might come will come back in some form or another, uh, but just this round, obviously, pretty pretty early stages to um, to get that kind of class action going. Uh, the uh, coming up in Canada, the TMX Group, uh, the stock exchange in Canada uh, CEO John McKenzie is going to the U.S. to speak uh, on behalf of Canada's markets. Uh, to the Barclays Americas Select Franchise Conference. So just giving an update on what's going on in the Canadian markets and exchanges. Uh, and of course, Canada's home sales numbers uh, did decline in April uh, from March. Um, softly. Uh, we're still seeing uh, price starts, uh, prices and starts uh, fell a little bit, but we're still seeing uh, you know, obviously year-over-year -year growth. Um, and a lot of those prices we did get in March, you know, some pretty crazy bidding. Uh, I think people just came back a little bit to reality on, uh, you know, how much they were going to overbid of asking. And we saw some pretty simple homes being built, bid up, uh, you know, 25 to 30% above asking price uh, in bidding wars. And, and that was just getting a little bit, a little frothy, I think, for the market. And so that's kind of come off a little bit in the last month. We'll, uh, we'll keep a close eye on it uh, for, May, uh, for May's numbers. On the exchange side, um, you know, the dollar fell a bit last, uh, last week. Uh, Canadian dollar rose almost 83 cents. Uh, and that's kind of just that longer term trend we've been watching. Um, and and same, with the, uh, same with the bond markets. Oil, I mentioned, uh, we tapped to get up against the $70 barrel mark. Uh, pulled back a little bit on some profit selling, but still a lot of strength in that. Uh, and gold is likely to strengthen a bit here, uh, as we expected some uh, various indi indicators around that to improve on the global front. So let's talk about the IPO market. Uh, what we saw last year, what we saw for the start of this year, as I mentioned, the IPO market hit a record high this year in terms of both money raised and share sales through volumes of listing, listings bolstered by a strong equity rally. Um, and really the monetary stimulus measures have, have driven it up. So if you think about it, companies, you know, why did they IPO or why do they raise capital uh, through a stock offering? It's because they can get a good value. That's the, the best way that they can, uh, or the cheapest way they can raise the most amount of money. Um, you know, if a company in a bad market is being valued at $20 a share uh, because uh, there's a lot of pressure on the market, uh, you know, uh, you know, strict monetary uh, policies out there. Uh, if they go to market, sure, they can sell a million shares at, uh, you know, 20 bucks a share and get 20 million. Uh, 
but what we've been seeing over the last year, because of the strong markets, uh, a lot of momentum in pricing and a very, uh, very easy monetary policies out there, uh, those, that $20 shares were selling $40, $60, $80 a share. So all of a sudden, the companies can raise uh, $80 million for the same, you know, basically the same revenues. Uh, so there's been a lot of um, incentive for companies who were thinking about raising capital, even if they didn't need the capital right now, uh, to, if they were thinking about raising capital to raise in this market. So this was kind of caused the frenzy of people or companies IPOing out now uh, while they can get top dollar for their stock, uh, pocket some of that money for future use, uh, or as we've talked about a lot over the last six to eight months, uh, there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions out there. So, you know, go buy other companies with this extra capital that they're able to raise in the market in the, uh, in the current environment. Now, that also means that, you know, when you're out there buying these IPOs, you're paying more uh, potentially for uh, what you're getting. And, and that's definitely true of some of the names, especially some of the, you know, red hot names that have been coming out over the last year, you know, the Airbnb, the DoorDash, uh, the Coinbase, um, you know, they've, they've launched out at some really, really expensive valuations, much more than the initial, um, you know, underwriters uh, valuations on them. I think, uh, I think the, 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 the recent one that, that we were watching closely was Coinbase. This is the cryptocurrency platform. Uh, you know, they were originally supposed to come out, I believe, around $140 a share on valuation. Uh, they were revalued a couple of times. They, they you know, they put um, a virtual price. So they didn't distribute any stock. I think the virtual price was $240, $245. Uh, that, that, that's what they were going to launch on the market. But of course, because of this, this kind of frenzy around the IPOs, uh, I think the first trades were over $380, almost $400. It did get over $400 in the first day. Uh, but of course, now that that, that, that initial um, uh, volume got snatched up, uh, as the trading continued, uh, it came down to, you know, three, two, I think it's trading somewhere around 240 right now, US dollars a share. So still pretty high from its initial valuation, but certainly massively off the launch. So a lot of concerns around those prices. Uh, and that goes back to what I always say, you know, I, IPOs are not bad. Um, if you know what you're buying and you're buying it for the right reason and you're paying the right price. Um, doesn't matter how good the company is, if you're paying too much money for it, you have to be really careful. And when I say too much money, it all comes down to its, 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 its cash flow, how much money is it earning, uh, and how much money, how, its revenue, how much money it's making, and how many times forward are you paying for that? So a lot of times these things will come out, and if you're paying two years uh, cash flow for it, it's not necessarily a bad uh, price as long as its growth on cash flow continues to stay steady. Um, you know, you will catch up before you get to that two-year mark because the company will continue to grow its cash flow. If you're paying 10 years for cash flow or revenues, uh, you know, you're paying a pretty heavy price. That means that company has to continue to grow steadily for that 10 years in order for you to, you know, even kind of recap, recap the value you're paying today. So be really cautious on them. Uh, they, are, they have slowed down quite a bit in the last, I would say, two months. Um, so valuations are getting a little bit more realistic or, um, you know, the, the froth that initially comes out on them 
is going away a lot quicker. So, you know, you can wait a couple of days or, or watch to see uh, where the price is going to settle and decide whether that's a value that makes sense for that company. Now, there's also been a lot of spending or a lot of capital raised in SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies. And I'm going to dive a little bit into that uh, uh, here shortly. Uh, but just, you know, as a sense, the total global IPO listings for this year, um, you know, as of the last couple of days, it was uh, 1,054, uh, which is a massive, massive boost in uh, capital raised over previous years. 2021 is... Uh, almost quadruple uh, 2020 as far as the numbers go. Uh, the United States led the world in IPOs last year, or sorry, so this year raised 130 billion, uh, which 88 billion of that were SPACs. Uh, and the Chinese and UK firms raised about 39 billion uh, and about 12 billion of that was SPACs uh, as well. Uh, and of course, Canada being the largest, Canada raising only about four and a quarter billion, uh, but that's, representative of our market, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the world. So SPACs, what are SPACs and, uh, and, and, you know, how are they used and why they've been so popular? SPACs, uh, SPACs are basically a, uh, a pre-IPO. So uh, a company will go out and uh, raise capital. So they'll issue a SPAC, they'll list it on the exchange and they'll sell shares, which is essentially what an IPO is. The only difference with the SPAC is it's basically, basically a shell. Uh, the company doesn't own or do anything. They're just raising capital. So the SPAC will go out and raise and they'll have a target, uh, you know, 20 million, 100 million, uh, you know, dependent on, on, on what they plan on putting in there. So the SPAC, once created, raises the capital. It has all this cash in the company. And that's essentially all it is, is a listed company with a lot of cash. Uh, and then it goes out and tries to, instead of a private company listing as an IPO or going public on their own and selling their shares into the market, the SPAC will just buy up the private company into the SPAC. The SPAC will then rename itself to that company that's bought, out, bought up and those shares become shares of that company. So kind of a, a roundabout way to IPO a company. Um, I'll be I'll forthcoming here. Uh, there's been good SPACs out there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, obviously, they've been very popular for, for a reason. I don't love the structure myself uh, or for my clients uh, because you're buying into an unknown. Uh, a lot of SPACs do have terms that once they announce the company that they're buying, you have an option to opt out uh, at the issue price. Not all do. Some do. Um, and then, you know, when they, you know, they take this company, they reverse takeover basically uh, into the SPAC, uh, you know, you end up with shares with this, uh, with underlying company. And hopefully the, the general managers or the company that's managing the SPAC uh, did a lot of due diligence before they bought that company uh, and took it public. Personally, that's not how I like to pick stocks for people's portfolios. I like to uh, be much more targeted than that. Uh, also, um, also, I find, um, you know, the really good quality companies uh, tend to IPO on their own without doing the SPAC. Uh, these tend to be smaller companies, uh, which again, not necessarily negative. Uh, just, you know, be aware of what you're getting into when you go into the SPACs. Uh, and, and, and when you do, when you do see 
what the company's buying, make sure that you can get behind the company that's going to, you know, be rolled out through the SPAC uh, in the long run. Um, the other thing I'll warn, and this is true of the IPO um, in general, but SPACs in, in, in particular, in the recent months, is whenever something gets something gets really popular and and uh, uh, a lot of capital is being thrown at it, uh, the more and more we see bad actors, and this is not just an investment, this is in any any capitalistic um, uh, marketplace. Uh, when there's success uh, and it starts to become easier and easier to be, be successful in that particular space, you all of a sudden get copycats. And as you get copycats, the quality starts to degrade. Um, so be, you know, at this point in time, if you're looking at a SPAC, obviously we've gone through this frenzy uh, over the last year around them. I'd be really cautious to see who's running it, what their track record is, and take a really hard look at uh, you know what they end up putting into that spot because you do go in a little bit blind uh, on these types of purchases. So it's worthwhile understanding uh, you know at all aspects of what you're buying, or just wait. You know, as I mentioned, wait for the IPO, wait for the SPAC to uh, to uh, rename and roll out the company. Um, you get a solid look. You know, all of a sudden it's not the SPAC that's looking at the company's financials and deciding if it's a good buy or not you can look at it or you and your advisor can look at it and say, yes, this is a good company or a good investment. I, it fits in my portfolio. I want to take advantage of it. Uh, you can buy it at that point once, you know, once it's out trading as the company, as opposed to the, uh, the special purpose acquisition company or the SPAC uh, under the SPAC name. So just my two bits. Again, they've been some very successful ones. There's been some very good deals. I'm not saying you shouldn't look at them. Uh, but do reach out to us uh, if you're, you're considering one. Uh, we'll give you uh, insights to the management team. Uh, usually when they launch a, a SPAC as well, the management team is, is usually focused on a particular sector or target type of company in there, uh, like healthcare or technology. Uh, we saw some earlier ones were focused around the cannabis sector. Um, so again, you know, we can take a look and see what that management team is trying to achieve, what they're looking at, what their track record has been, uh, and to see if it's worthwhile considering or definitely uh, take a pause and uh, wait and see what, uh, what comes out of it. <clears throat> so with that, as I mentioned, got our future expectations. I do think this market's gonna slow down a little bit on the IPO front and the SPAC front, just uh, because of the amount of volume that's already kind of come through. We are seeing the markets being a lot more tentative uh, when looking at these deals uh, because of the valuations, uh, because the numbers are starting to slow down in the recovery. Again, not bad. Uh, in fact, if you go back to September of last year to some of my videos, you'll see me talking about, uh, we fully expected on reopening, you know, this big boom, this big pent up demand uh, as, as cash flows in and people spend uh, and go out and buy uh, you know, all the things that they were concerned about and then tapering. That doesn't mean no growth. It just means tapering. So, uh, you know, even last week we talked about the volatility that's going to bring, especially in those growth names, because those growth names are expecting that high growth to continue. And that's where those value names are going to come into play because the value names love steady growth. They like that nice and, and repetitive uh, growth, lower growth numbers. So, you know, we're seeing that switch a little bit of, from growth to value. 
uh, we're seeing the market starting to reflect that a little bit more. So nothing to be concerned about. Uh, we're just probably not going to see the IPOs in as high as numbers uh, for the balance of the year, uh, and maybe uh, not as frosty, on, frothy, sorry, on launch. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, and in fact, I, I would prefer to see them not get overvalued too quickly uh, because that's just speculation. That's not really investment in the long run. Um, you know, with that, I mentioned I was going to talk a little bit more about cryptos. Uh, I don't have time today. Uh, maybe I'll do another special video. I know I've done a, a one-off video on cryptos. Uh, the only thing I want to, I want to say, make sure you know, you know, my theme of my speech is here. Make sure you know what you're buying. But not all cryptos are the same. Uh, Ethereum, for example, is a very different animal than a Bitcoin, even though both crypto, they're not built for the same purposes. Um, and so just know why you're buying. Uh, I'll leave it at that as a teaser. Uh, follow us on MikeOnMoney.com uh, or Instagram uh, or any of the social medias, and I'll put out a, an update on cryptos and try to explain the difference between the different, uh, the different ones. Because I've got a lot of, uh, with the pullback, a lot of people have talked about uh, should they buy some. Uh, and that's the other thing I'll cover off as well, is if you are thinking of buying it, how should you buy it? Because there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to go out and buy cryptocurrencies. And uh, I'll cover that in a video as well um, uh, and, and make sure I bring you up to date. So with that, I'm going to let you go. Uh, hopefully enjoy a nice afternoon. Um, looks like we're getting some sun here in Vancouver uh, after a, a thunderstorm last night. Uh, and our new, our new puppy, our, our one-year-old puppy, our COVID puppy, uh, had his first thunderstorm last night and did not like it. So uh, hopefully everyone can go out and enjoy the sunshine a little bit uh, and visit us, uh, send us your comments, your feedback, uh, any other topics you'd like us to do a deep dive into, uh, we'd happy, happily cover that stuff off. Uh, and with that, I'll leave you for, um, for another great week and I'll talk to you next Tuesday.